When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's an interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, Wherever you're listening from today, please take a second to hit the subscribe button. We put out multiple interviews every single week, and we'd love you to keep up with us. Uh, That's whether you're listening on Spotify, on YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. It's a trio episode today. Three guests. I'll be talking with uh, Kristen Hirsch. He's got a brand new record called Possible Dust Clouds. Tanya Donnelly from Belly about their comeback record, Dove. And Bill Janovitz from Buffalo Tom with their latest Quiet in Peace. If you're familiar with those artists, you probably understand that there is a tie that brings them all together. Kristen Hirsch and Tanya Donnelly are stepsisters. And of course, Buffalo Tom has a long history with the band Belly and that Boston scene. 
But we'll start with Kristen Hirsch. The Throwing Muses frontwoman has a brand new solo record called Possible Dust Clouds. We'll be talking about the psychedelic sound that runs throughout it and its really interesting use of percussion. We'll also dip a little bit into religion and then turn back the clocks to 1998 to talk about her record Strange Angels, which was produced by Joe Henry, and the Boston scene of the late 80s coming up with the Pixies. Getting us started here, it's Kyle Meredith with Kristen Hirsch. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. Let me give you the compliments then on Possible Dust Clouds because I, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know that I was expecting anything particular when I jumped into it. But holy cow, it blew me away right from the beginning. The f- no shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the feel of this record is, is, is so cool. And, and, you know, it's I mean, I guess it's a different thing uh, for you. Um, sort of a psychedelic feel through the through the thread. Is that accurate? Is that fair? Oh, I'll listen to you. I trust you more than me. I, I do some psychedelia, it seems. I am from the 60s. <laughs> I have a solo record called Sunny Border Blue that sounds like the monkeys if something terrible happened to them. It seems to be like a default production move on my part. So the songs aren't particularly psychedelic, but the production itself sounds like the impact of a live performance without sounding like it was recorded live, which kind of sometimes that just means recorded badly. <laughs> I added chaos, I think, is what I was doing. I didn't know at the time. I was like, none of this can be in tune or in time, or it sounds stupid. <laughs> so all of the percussion is out of time, and <laughs> all of the, uh, any melodic overdub is kind of like drone-like and out of tune, because it just sounded better to me. It sounded like a wild party, but a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's all the stuff that I'm hearing, too. And, like, when you're using those recording techniques, does that change how the song was written or or influence how the song is written? No, I don't seem able to influence how the song is written. Songs just are. And I, I put on my producer hat immediately, probably as I'm reaching for the guitar, because I let the guitars determine the the band. Throwing music songs are written on my Tully or my Strat, 50-foot wave on my SG or my Les Paul, and then solo is kind of a free-for-all, but they're usually written on callings, and so that's a style move. So when I'm wearing that hat, I'm stepping away from the inspiration, and I have to watch that. I go into the studio knowing exactly what mics I'm going to use, where they're going to be placed, what amps, how long I have to leave them on for, where the drum mic is going to be, where the room mic is going to be, what reverbs I'm going to use and what reverbs I'm not going to use. I know everything by heart before the record is made, and I'm always completely wrong, like completely wrong. Like, have you ever even heard a record before? (laughs) Which I love. It's because the songs are the inspiration, and they know what to do, and you don't, and you should keep learning that over and over again. You mentioned that percussion being out of time. I mean, one of the things that struck me was how exciting the percussion is. I don't know. Was there anything that that drove you in that direction to say that this is, you know, to be that chaotic in that style for that, I guess, specific instrument? Yeah, being stupid before that, like right before that, I played something in time that was maybe a more predictable element than a drum kit, you know, and... It sounded so tasty and tight. I just thought, no, 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 and you erase it. And, and you, but you can't, you're not happy just with erasing it. You have to 
undo it by doing it opposite. <laughs> and to me, that was this nutty freaking dulcimer that was in the corner of the studio that I mic'd and so close that there's no no sustain to it. And I played it wrong so that it just sounds like clanging. And I had to play it out of time or it wouldn't have that sort of live feel, which could be the reflective of, of the chaos of a live show, but it could also just be how sound vibrations bounce around a room. That's what it sounds like to the audience. Yeah, I was just reading, I don't know if it was Uncut or Mojo, but it was uh, it was all about the tour with uh, with Throwing Muses and Pixies back in 88. And and then you were you were featured in there, but but you know, Charles, he he was talking about what you were talking about and saying for him it's almost impossible to get that loose feel of, of youth, to have the accidents kind of happen in the studio, but I don't get the sense that you have that problem as much that that looseness can exist with your songs with a bit more ease than maybe other artists can? Yeah, I'm sort of, I have to be made of loose. I have such an aversion to um, taking type for granted, I suppose, which is what that tasty thing is. Uh, you know, bad production, beer commercial production. Um, I Loose, there's a place for it, and it takes a, a great deal of solidity and of fluidity in the the top and the, the bottom of the, the sonic element, meaning that uh, happy accidents can occur once you have that strong muscular song body down. And, and this works live, too. You just have to know what your essential elements are. If your song is alive, then to treat it with that reductionist technique of making it tight and smaller than it should be, it's just a missed opportunity, that's all. You can still be very solid and muscular. I'm in a math rock band. Like It's really hard for me to shake off <laughs> tightness, but I know that looseness has its place. Well, I'll bring up another instrument, um, and that being your voice, because it's it, on this record, actually, it feels like as much of an instrument as uh, on this record as anything else. Like I feel like I want to know the words, but I don't feel like I have to hang on to them as much as some Ooh, of your songs in the past. Good. I like that. I always had a problem including lyrics on the package because I was afraid somebody would just sit there and read them. It seems so stupid. Like, <laughs> and here's the poetry. And because they were such a, an instrument, they were part of the vocals. It was as if you included the sheet music in the package. It's like, yeah, it's essentially what this is. <laughs> but don't read it. <laughs> I like the percussive nature of vocals. And they, they should stand as poetry and i think i've released a lyric book this year in fact <laughs> but but i like that you don't separate them from the music that's great no it, it flows right in there and and works so well only until afterwards that i kind of pull through and go oh what was she saying you know and and not in uh -huh. a condescending way obviously it just it, it feels like such a complete piece um a big compliment oh, yeah there. that's so cool yeah that, i like that i also like chris Brady's backing vocals so much on this record He's one of my favorite singers. He was in Sub Pop's Pond, mm -hmm. and we they toured with the music for many years. Uh, and he's got such plain, raw, honest vocals. He's one of the few musicians I work with who's not particularly idiosyncratic. He's sort of pure instead, which is so rare that it's actually unusual. <laughs> You'd mentioned that in there. Sounds, that sounds really bitter. <laughs> I mean it in a good way. <laughs> uh, you mentioned in the press release that you invited a lot of friends on uh, on this record. Is that is that right? Yeah, compared to my other records where I play everything. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that many, but 
uh, Fred and Dave from the Muses, Rob from Fifty Foot Wave, uh, and my son Wyatt plays drums on it. That's cool. How, how is that? I mean, it, it, it's not the first time that's happened, is it? Yeah, I yes. think when they were little, they like, played little piano things on a murder ballad record I made, which sounds kind of tacky, but <laughs> and it was, in fact, <laughs> Appalachian folk songs. They like, they, I think they sang and played on that. But uh, this is Wyatt, the drummer. So, yeah, it's different. (laughs) It's got to be great having that connection there, though. That's, you know, as I read, anytime I read about that happening, I I sort of have that thought, like, that's so, that's got to be at least sort of kind of a cool moment on on some different level than the usual one. Oh, man, yeah. And I played drums on most of it. You can tell the difference because I turned Wyatt's drums all the way up. (laughs) Like, oh, look at the baby. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Fred from the Users played bass on that same track. It's called Breathe In. I think it's the penultimate track. But, um, yeah, Wyatt's, it was funny. I, I was ready to be mom and producer. And the first take he did was real snare heavy. And I said, you know, don't be married to the snare. You're not holding this band together like you would, you know, in the garages in Providence where you usually play. And he, I said, you know, like, you know, it can all be fills. It can, you can do, you know, be loose with this, and I'll keep us together. And again, everything was wrong. He was absolutely right. Being married <laughs> to the snare was the right thing to do. <laughs> and so I went back. To, I think I used his one of his very first tapes because he's he's got such an ear, and and again, like such a looseness, like you said. That youth, that youth will youth will always win in that uh, in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just had this conversation with Fred because we were saying we don't. Oh no, it was Bernie, the other bass player. <laughs> um, we were saying we never bought into life chapters when we were kids. We seemed oddly mature to the point of boring, and then as we got older, we seemed oddly immature <laughs> because we were still the same. We we didn't. Uh, he had a kid at fifty, I think, and I. I kids when I was a teenager and it's just it's, nothing was ever any different the records don't sound different from life stage to life stage we, just sort of who we are and that that's it like we just weren't ever going to be anything else <laughs> <laughs> but at least you know that you know that's there's security of course in, in knowing who you are that's yeah completely oh I'm going to start seeing it that way secure <laughs> is not how I felt about it. <laughs> but I'll take that yeah. happy to I want to bring up a couple of the songs, uh, and, and Fox Point being one of those, because there's that riff, and I have to ask about the riff, because is it a coincidence that it sounds very close to Chicago's 25 or 6 to 4? I don't know that song. Okay, there, there was the so dun 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 which is just a sort of a descending thing, you know, but so I, anybody could have, you know, I guess come up with that, but I didn't know if there, there was maybe an homage happening there just, um, or, or Sorry. no, it's, no. <laughs> I don't think you have to apologize <laughs> for like... that. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it was uh, subliminal. <laughs> Probably heard it in a cab or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. It's a cool point of that song, by the way. I, I love it. it. It's yeah, it's cool. And then the other one I'll bring up, you know, is sort of a, one of the first songs we got to hear was No Shade in the Shadow, which, as a phrase, you know, is, is commonly used in, in religious subjects. And I was sort of wondering if there, were, if there were still overtones in this song, if this was going down the religion path with you on this track. I was raised 
hippies, so you can't even really call that a religion, but they happen to have been raised Southern Baptist, so my spelling is fluid at best. And I would think that my lyrics, as percussively melodic as they are, wouldn't necessarily enter down that path, but there's a psychological reality to both of those images, obviously, and there isn't a whole lot of relief in your dark side. And so, yeah, that's that's fairly heaven and hell, and um, lots of lots of different ways for us to burn up here. So, yeah, okay, <laughs> lots of different ways for us to burn up here. That's I, <laughs> as we see day in and day out. There's a 50 foot wave line about that. It's about it's a song on power and light about degradation, desperate times call for desperate pleasures. Same concept that we do look to hide from that burn in our darkness, and it's it's never going to be safe. The safest we can be is to be exposed, and um, that's the most empathic we can be. Uh, we're here to be strong, to live hard, and to do that for each other, and that's probably where those lines are going. Is it uh, so? I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as the point to jump in the time machine to '98, because on the Strange Angels record, there is the song "Gazebo Tree." Is there a way to draw a thread between the two? And I'm of course using that line. Don't you know that Jesus died? As sort of the uh, the connection point here. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I would have missed that. Uh, that wasn't mine. This old lady on a bus uh, sat down next to me and told me that she never ever left the house she was on a bus when she said this. <laughs> <laughs> i said oh you know so you're bonkers tell me more <laughs> and i said why and she said well look what they did to jesus wow. like she thought she was going to get crucified at the mall so uh go ahead and draw that thread i'll follow you <laughs> there um but <laughs> clearly i don't know a whole lot about my own lyrics <laughs> No, the, the... They say what they want to. If they get stuck in my throat, I know I'm lying. Mm-hmm. And not a terrible lie, more like a trying to make sense of this, getting in the way. But that's as close as I get to having other words for their truth. You know, probably if I did, I'd just write books. But this is the way songs use words is as if they are all verbs. They're all active, every color, every noun everything is an action and that the truth inherent in that language uh is just obviously far more active than the more staid conversational communication we engage in at other times so i I don't like to get in the way of it but i'll talk about them you know i any problem doing that. I just sound like I don't know, like I didn't actually write the songs. <laughs> and I'm following through all that. I, I'm just kind of letting that resonate because I, I love your explanation, you know, for, for what songs are and, and how they become and, and what they live to be. And I do. I love music. I'm obsessed with it, but I I can't reduce it, I suppose. I haven't uh-huh. been able to do that math that would help the equation uh, work in any other um medium i suppose just the noise of it is just so precious to me well i'll back up a little bit so it's not song specific because you know just sort of taking the moment here to celebrate the uh the 20 years of that uh, that great record thanks for 
telling me that it's the twentieth anniversary. I didn't know that. <laughs> and happy twentieth anniversary to it too. <laughs> you know, so that's a very hidden little record. I barely remember making it. It was out. I was living out in the desert. It has the song "Baseball Field" on it. I always liked that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a song nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it seemed like an interesting time. You know, for that record too, because at that moment you had just put "Throwing Muses to Bed," and I guess this was your second solo record. Is that right? Right. Yeah. We didn't break up or anything. I had tried to break the band up years earlier, just saying, "Well, I wanted to get off of Warner Brothers, and I couldn't think of any other way to do it because I couldn't afford to buy myself off of Warner Brothers, and I was the only member signed. It was in a key member clause, so." We the music made a record called The Real Ramona, and during that, I was just like, fuck this. Like, we're out of here. This band does not exist. Can we go now? <laughs> I just could not face that corporate crap one more day. What they do to music is just so, so wrong to turn it into the, the product and the bimbo and the junk food that they... It's not music. You know, they don't want music. They want fashion candy. Um, and that's fine. It's just, that's not my world, so... I tried to leave, and I had had a baby, and my drummer came over to play with the baby all the time and listen to the songs I was still putting on the four track because, you know, music and the music business have nothing to do with each other. So I was still recording songs, and he just he just screamed because he had headphones on mm-hmm. and couldn't hear his own voice. <laughs> He's holding my baby, and, started, and he just yelled. Let's just be a band that doesn't give a shit because we are a band that doesn't give a shit. (laughs) Which was true. So the baby's crying, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, Dave's right. So I did make a few more records for Warner Brothers, and I think the last solo one was Strange Angels? Or no, I gave them, in exchange for my freedom, I gave them my first solo record. Um, So I was just kind of being very quiet then and strange angels is a very strangely angelic quiet piece (laughs) you know in in light of the rest of the noise i have made (laughs) this teeny little moment it's quieter than my first solo record which was essentially just acoustic guitar and cello i think there's just something very desert about that record it's still beautiful. I mean, it's still just completely gorgeous, those songs. Oh, thank you. I haven't heard it since then. I don't, <laughs> I'll trust you on that. <laughs> you worked with uh, Joe Henry on that too, right? I know Joe pretty oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, um, I was making it out in the desert, and he said, you know what, just come over. That's too lonely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just hung out in Joe's garage and came out with a little teeny record but it, it's a sweet one right it is a sweet one and and you know it's nice okay. to see it sort of has had this extra life to it just because that title strange angels you've applied that to, to other parts of uh is it is it your supporters is that what it is that i remember reading? yeah yeah my listener subscribers they pay all of my um studio costs that i don't need a record company and they they pay for all the outsourcing I've had to do from vinyl to radio to publicity to, you know, just photo shoots even. They they have been my record company. And that that was really important. Fifty Foot Wave uh, made the first step in that direction by being this kind of cooperative that pioneered the pay-what-you-want model. But I needed more than that. I needed to, to know that this was for... The people it was intended to resonate with, mm-hmm. 
I want to say the smart listeners. And what I mean is like the musically literate people who need visceral, who need real. And there are people who only want fashion candy, and that's not my world. So I need to find the people that want this medicine because that's what I'm here for. And these listener subscribers that we call strange angels, they, they seem to be the people that I'm here with anyway. You know, they help me and I help them. It's this circle of gratitude between us. You know, if every musician could be so lucky, you know, to, to, to have that such a supportive group of people kind of, you know, helping them. Uh, out from the very beginning that uh, that would change a lot of things yeah i don't think it's right for every musician really Mm -hmm. but i know what you're saying it's definitely an honor and a blessing but you have to care about something you're asked not to care about in the business which is refining your audience making it smaller and smaller and smarter and smarter very few musicians are willing to do that they think more 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 and those are not repeat customers, and you're not making medicine at that point. There's no room for power or idiosyncrasy or any of the things that make spontaneous music real. So I had to court these people with a sort of failure. Yeah. In, the, in the business, this is a failure, and that's fine. <laughs> I don't want the business. <laughs> I don't want that ugly success. It's like as, as a woman, I've seen it I've, in humans. You know, I know the bimbo win. I've seen it. It's not a secret <laughs> what you're trying to do. <laughs> it's just real ugly and damaging. And it's digging us a hole that we just keep jumping into. So it's time for, for people and politics and music to get out of their, <laughs> their holes. <laughs> and it's going to be quiet. You don't attract a lot of attention doing so. And that's what humans are here for. You know, small world, big picture. Sorry, I got all sanctimonious there. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Are you kidding? I'm just saying, like, it it really isn't what every musician wants. To refine your audience means to make it smaller and have more impact. Some of my greatest heroes, musical heroes, have have, have done that, you know. And and you're right. It's not for everybody. It wouldn't work for everybody. But uh, but I've always appreciated the ones who have done it and wanted it and pulled it off and, you know, fearlessly went down that path. And, and, you know, you being one of those. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for being that kind of a listener. Because obviously, the more you know about music, the more you listen that way. So there is an education involved, and some people are born with it. Some people have to work at it, but their response is colored by life experience. Like I, yeah, I'm right. I'm sitting in a surfmobile right now, and I can tell you, these surfers who have to respond to the ocean, to every wave being different, and the power and the fear. They have a visceral appreciation of music. And then there are these other surfers that want to beat the wave and want to show off. <laughs> and they, they listen to crap music. And I'm not going to reduce anybody to those elements, but it's sort of how I, it's my litmus test for humanity. <laughs> music is the only language I speak. And I speak a little ocean too. And that's when, when I see that personality type most clearly. It's, it's because of this sort of, natural response and i mean that literally like nature Mm -hmm. and music should reflect nature and your nature it's just that music has this sort of bad component it's like this grasp of sin which is extra gorgeous to me this ocean isn't real sinful but music is dirty and we need that as people we need a little bit of redemption through sin and forgiveness and all that well, that's definitely what I've lived my life from day to day to day for as long as I can remember. So, I know, here, yeah. yeah. 
it's it's a real thing. And, you know, God and the devil, those are things on our shoulders that um, you don't need religion to tell you about. But it's not there's so there's such disparate elements of your venture. <laughs> they just have different colors. <laughs> well, I'll um I'll wrap up here something a bit uh, <laughs> I say a bit more lighthearted. That's beautiful stuff. I, again, I don't want to knock. I'm not trying to say that, but uh, I noticed that you know there was a time a long time ago where you were um, included in a scene, you know, in the throwing music days in that northeast scene, and I thought, you know, how interesting is it as we look at now 2018. And here, you have a new record out. Belly has a record. The Breeders, Buffalo Tom, Juliana Hatfield, and Dinosaur Jr. all at once. And everybody is still knocking it out of the park with some of their best music. And to me, that was incredible. I don't know if you've noticed that or if that's even on your radar, but it sort of it sort of hit mine, and I thought how beautiful that is. Yeah, that's nice. I think I was in that scene for a minute before... All those bands. Yeah. Um, it was sort of us and the Pixies in my day, and Dinosaur Jr., I guess. And it was a strong scene, meaning you were supposed to sound like yourself. And the garage rock vocabulary that we were all deeply embedded in was just necessity. We literally played in garages, and our equipment sucked. And so when we played these shows, nobody was really headlining that I can remember, and the audience was made up of other people who were also playing the show. <laughs> and we just switched places and support each other, um, and that was a great education. Whatever happened after that doesn't really matter as much as that sort of initial fire that Charles was talking about, uh-huh. like, that he and I would sit there for hours just trying to figure it out and trying not to look too closely at it because it was such a fire and we knew it could go out if we paid too much attention to it, but we were obsessed with it. So how do you not? And that's what I can't lose. I've seen people lose it. They get self-conscious. They want to sell records. They think they can dress away. And um, it sounds so stupid. Like, I know you've heard it before, but the superficial is for fooling people and it, only fools the foolish so people step away from substance and it just doesn't serve them they die a little and they do not make anything but false friends by doing so and so yeah that that scene that mattered and there are scenes all over the place that matter again merely because there is no music business any longer that fire is coming back yeah, well I, I certainly appreciate you serving the uh, the music and the way you have all this time um and and my compliments wrapping it up here uh with uh with this new record too with possible dust clouds it's uh it's one of your best it really is thank you so much for listening i so appreciate it kyle that's yeah. very kind of you yeah. it was a pleasure talking to you Kristen. i'll let you uh i'll let you get to the studio <laughs> or do whatever you need to do <laughs> yeah. but i appreciate you taking all this it's, time uh, to talk music today we're back in the studio with um 50 foot waves producer mud rock in la which is like, like bringing it's like a family reunion where people haven't met yet. Yeah. <laughs> so throwing muses is the next thing we can uh, we can hear after this. Is that, that I believe that the plan? so? Yeah. That's exciting. Uh-huh. That's so exciting. All right. Well, thank you thank so much, you. and I'll, we'll we'll see you around. I appreciate you doing this, sweetheart. Talk yeah. soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. And thanks to Kristen Hirsch again. The new record is called Possible Dust Clouds. Now, I want to turn your attention to Kristen Hirsch's stepsister and former bandmate in Throwing Muses. That's Tanya Donnelly. Earlier this year, she reunited with her band Belly for their first record since 1995. It's called Dove. It's one of my favorites of the year. 
I got to talk with Tanya about what it was like getting the group back together and writing with the history of a band like that that hadn't been around for a while. We'll talk about that album title, Dove, as a bird of peace in a time where... Well, that's an interesting word. There was also a cancer scare that came about in the recording of the record. And we'll also talk about the 25th anniversary of Belly's debut record, Star, which has some interesting tie-ins with the history for the band The Breeders, which Tanya was also a part of that band as well. It's Kyle Meredith with Tanya Donnelly of Belly. Hey, how are you doing? So it's all happening. It's finally all happening. Uh, 23 years later, and and Belly... (laughs) is back with music. How does it feel right now? What's what's going through your head? Uh it feels great. I mean, it really it, I think it, I think the fact that it's something that wasn't, you know, there was it, this could be very easily have not happened, you know. So I think we sort of feel like it's a gift and I mean, not to sound precious about it, but it we're really grateful for this chance to work together again primarily because I think individually we uh we're missing that. And also just to sort of have this chance for, the, you know, this sort of, I don't want to use the word closure because that seems too finite and we don't know where it's going to go from, or, you know, what we're going to do after this. Mm-hmm. But to have this very positive postscript is re- has been just huge, hugely meaningful to us. So just that alone, <laughs> you know, to be quite honest with you, that's 90% of it for us. Um, and then everything else is just bonus. So, yeah. I, I've been thinking about, I don't know, maybe psychologically, what it would be like to be in this situation. Because, you know, when you're writing and, and you've known these people forever, and you're probably wanting to still to write about who you are now. But there's still something like you're pushing it through a lens of something that we all knew from, from back then. You know, something that was structured mm-hmm. in a different time. And I don't know, what an interesting way to make art. Yeah. That's a really good point, and that has come up a couple of times. And, I mean, it, it sort of came up theoretically before we started working, actually working on this stuff. But once we once we were in the room writing together, and I think the fact that we broke out of an old pattern and decided that this time it was going to be completely collaborative from start to finish. I mean, every almost every song is, you know, 25, 25, 25, 25. <laughs> so that's been really... I mean, that has actually, I think, breaking out of our former template has kind of solved that problem of who are we and what is this going to be like? And we're also different now. And are we going to revert or is it going to move too quickly forward? Or what's, you know, all of those questions kind of were put to bed when we just started simply playing together again. So, With it sort of being changed like that in, in the writing style, does it at all feel like a new band? Yeah, it does. I mean, the it's funny because, I mean, musically it feels very n- new to us. And there are some on the album where we'll, we will verbalize, like, this feels very much like the old days. But for the most part, musically, we feel very, di- we're different as musicians, for one thing. And we work together in a much more harmonious way now, um, very much together. I would say in terms of the the sort of vibe of hanging out together again that that feels very familiar which is nice it feels like the f- you know in the first year that we were together originally so which I... leads to some you know <laughs> some <laughs> sort of going backwards in time humor wise <laughs> little a little kinder in the rehearsal space sometimes in a very 
in a very positive way. <laughs> hey, we, we all never grow up, really. So. I know, well, you know, I mean, you know, when you're hanging out with your, or, you know, with your, with people who you grew up with, you know, there's mm-hmm. a language that you kind of revert to sometimes. So that's, I want to hear those tapes. And it's not always, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, That's the thing though, you know, to be a band this time around, I'm using that in the big sense because when you're young and you go into it, it's, it's always that gang mentality, us against the world. You know, and and these days, you know, everyone has yeah. their lives and everyone lives everywhere that they do. And to try to kind of pull that back in, like how important is that, is the gang mentality when, when you're doing this again? It's it's really important because, I mean, I feel like we, and again, I'm going to repeat myself, but we managed to sort of recapture that, that like team kind of somewhat insular mentality. But also now I think because we do all individually live out in the world in a very different way than we did back then. There, there's more, I mean, I feel like our, just even something as simple as the way we connect with people at shows now is much more porous in a very positive way. And I think that is because it's, it's not so much us against them as us and them, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which comes with being aged, I think, you know, that, that we still are very much team belly, but, but there's a real sort of uh, the you know the walls are down a bit in a in a way that that is that's nice and sort of natural and it feels healthy and good. Yeah, of course, there's going to be tons of new people that you know Belly is a brand new band to them, and isn't that exciting? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Like um, my our um, pro- uh, project manager just sent us like a I don't even know so sort of like stats of who's listening and who's buying and who's um and it is a solid some you know a lot of solid couple of decades younger than us in some cases which we're sort of like who are they who are these 30 year olds they're there That's been and they're really coming gratifying. for you yeah <laughs> Good. they have a lot of energy i hear bring them on <laughs> gonna drain some of that off of them yeah did you guys, uh, I mean, were you able to actually write in the room together a lot or was it some of it done over the line? We, a little of both. So most uh, in the, the, our initial, just because just logistically, we can't be in the same room as often as we'd like. So we sent, you know, I would send a, Gail would send a riff or a chorus or I would send a chorus or a riff, you know, when Tom would send, we, we just sent it required a lot of trust because we were really sending some pretty raw stuff back and forth. And then we'd decide what was going to go with what, and I would add something onto something Gail or Tom sent and vice versa. And um, and then Chris really informs how, where things go vibe-wise. You know, as soon as he starts playing, it changes things. Um, it cha- You know, even to be quite honest, lyrically sometimes, I know that sounds bizarre, but it just does happen. And then Tom sort of kind of... Frankensteined everything together, and then we, so then we had the, like the bases, and then then we would go in to play all together to to kind of flush it all out. And 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 sort of on the on the darker side, I mean, there was a cancer scare in the middle of this. I, I didn't know if I could ask about that. Yeah. But, but Gail had to go through some scary stuff, and that must did that just sideline mm-hmm. everything for a minute? Yeah, it it sort of didn't. She was just so. I mean, I, I there's I've. Loved and admired that woman for most of my adult life, but this coming through that with her, I was just it was super superhero level 
stuff she was pulling off. And we, the only thing that really changed, I mean, we did somewhat, she, it fortuitously, her treatments kind of worked around our schedule. And then we, you know, tinkered with some stuff, but she, we didn't want to cancel anything. You know, we took it tour to tour. The only thing that changed really is that we didn't, you know, I canceled a bunch of press and radio stuff and we really just closed ranks somewhat, you know, there were no meet and greets. There were no, after shows, she was happy to talk to people and stuff, but yeah, she just, I mean, she can speak to the situation better than I, but we were all, to say that we were blown away is an understatement by what she did. I I personally um, had a lot of respect that she took the opportunity uh, to talk about at that moment the Affordable Care Act and everything that was going on, and yep. uh, you know what a what a what an outstanding uh, uh, position you know and and moment to be uh, using that. So it's which is still right. a weird weird way of yeah. saying that. I don't want that to come across the wrong way. Yeah, and to say no, no, it doesn't come across. I mean, and the, and I think that that was you know her really what she wanted to say is yes, this happened to me, but this is what I want you know what I want to talk about is is ACA, you know, so, and to come from a point of, you know, true impact on that, you know, instead of just hypothetically, it is, uh, was very, very strong. Well, it it landed pretty hard in in the best way possible, I think, to the, to the folks who is, you know, aware of it. And, uh, you know, I don't know, there's nothing, I I was going to say, and and here we are in in all of the crap that we're in now, but uh, that's really sort of unrelated. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been, I mean, right now we're sort of starting the conversation of, you know, I don't think he's the, you know, the Buffalo Tom um, are taking Mom's Demand out with them on the road, you know, that's kind of inspired me to sort of say we should do something, you know, right now something similar just to have a booth, you know, I mean, it's you do what you can where you can and hopefully... (laughs) Talking with um, Buffalo Tom, by the way, and uh, I told I, I I was trying to get you guys uh, to to tour together. I was I was really pushing hard on that interview, but that would be very fun. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, honestly, that would be probably the most sensible and fun thing I can think of. But we're both sort of doing this obnoxious opening for ourselves. Right. Thing right now. <laughs> So. If, that, if that show can happen, though, you know, just once or something, you know, I'll make that trip. I'll, I'll do that. That'd be fun to see. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, you know, I, I would, that is something that I would absolutely love to do. I mean, and, you know, selfishly, my family and Bill's are extremely close, so yeah. <laughs> it would be very nice. Well, um, sort of expanding back on what we were talking about just a second ago, um, naming the album Dove, I don't know if that had a bigger implication if, I sh- if I'm reading into it too much, you know, as a bird of peace mm-hmm. in 2018. That, that seems, and I know that comes from the lyric of, uh, of um, what is it, uh, what's the song, Army of Yeah. 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 Right. It, it's, it's every, I mean, it's, that's an umbrella word for us, which is why we liked it, because absolutely peace is a huge part of it. And, um, and also from and lyrically there are there are a couple of bird references on there too other than Dev and so we did feel like that that was the perfect you know especially where it does come up in the lyrics where at one point it's about not reaching for the bird and then in the other it's about ignoring the bird and then but the main thing is the bird is here mm. <laughs> and I do mean that in a in a hopeful and positive way you know peace is a struggle a, a huge struggle. Peace is not peaceful, and so that's part of 
part of the message in that, but then also just the permanence of it as well. So uh, I, I thought that was a really cool one, and you know, it sticks with one word titles. So you've you've got that going. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I know. Well, and the, and at first we were, you know, we were sort of saying, let's come up with the longest title ever. <laughs> <laughs> you got a Fiona Apple the thing. I'm yeah, that's uh... laughing with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then it's sort of like, ah, eh, let's just keep with the. We got a thing. Let's stick with it. Well, I should also bring up the uh, the single. I, you know, we're, we're playing that. In fact, at, right before I, I I sat down to give you a call, I had the station on the background, and Shiny One was on, and it sounds so good. And especially, oh, good. you know, being the first official, you know, not in counting the the cover that kind of floated out there beforehand, but being the first official song out of twenty three years. I mean, what a great, what a great statement. What's the story behind Shiny One? I mean, I personally have the most, you know, sort of the most not the most affection for this one but a big this was the first completely you know communal one that we put together and i think it really represents just how we wrote for the most part this album um as a whole uh you know gail wrote gail it started with gail gail's chorus she wrote the chorus and the <clears throat> opening riff and then tom wrote verse and bridge and i wrote lyrics and words over that and then we chris chris is and again this is an example of chris bringing a bringing a vibe in that completely changed the the direction of the song um the groove of it and then you know tom and we tom and i wrote our guitars over it and it just sort of all came together in this really nice sort of like very natural back and forth that we did remotely initially just sending it around and then when we got together, it just kind of gelled. Um, and live, I have to say, this is one of our strongest ones live. So there's, you know, that's something that we we bear in mind as well is how it's going to translate live. As far as round numbers go, anniversaries go, this does come uh, on the uh, on the 25th anniversary of, of Star, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, did that play? Did, yep. Is that coincidence? Is that complete coincidence? It is complete coincidence. Yeah. We we yeah we don't have that kind of forethought. <laughs> I mean, there's <laughs> a song on it skills. called "Stars Align" on the new record, and I thought, well, look yeah. at all of that. Just... <laughs> I know that's sort of uh, that. That's a little bit. That one is definitely that was the last one to be named because we called that one "Dreams." The working title was "Dreams" for a long time, and then we wanted to sort of get away from that word. So, um, so we just picked something out of the. And we were like, it's kind of make, it's kind of good because it does sort of hint at, you know, what's happening now. But it's just a, it's just pulled from the, from the song. That one took a long time to name. <laughs> it was, it's there are multiple names all over every working work in progress of that one. So that's one of the ones that sort of harkens back to, just in terms of style. So I feel like that it's a good title. You know, talking about Star turning 25, I didn't know until reading recently, because I wanted to go back and listen to that one, too, that that was originally intended to be a Breeders album, which I thought was really yeah fascinating. Now that they're doing their yep. thing, they call it the classic lineup, and which seemed weird to me. Is that weird for you at all? No, not at all. It is. It's To be fair, I, I played on Pod and Safari, and then everything they've done since has been without me and... So historically, they, you know, they have every right to be calling it, call, you know, to be referring to it that way. Really, and I mean that from the bottom of my mind, there's no zero ill 
will among any of those people and myself. It's all fine. Um, And I think that that's, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I do think that, that, you know, that is what they, that's their core. So I, I, selfishly as a fan, I think it would really be cool to kind of see uh, some big collaboration, you know, some, uh, I don't know if you want to call that a reunion, but uh, you know, something like that happened one day. That would kind of be, that'd be fun. That'd just be fun. I mean, all the kids are playing again, you know, you got the you got yep. star. Well, you know when they're here, when they come here, I sit in sometimes. I I get up and I sing. Actually, they completely blindsided me one night and pulled me up, and I really peed in their pool that night. It was I I wasn't expecting it, and I completely screwed it up. So I asked for a do over the next time they came <laughs> to sort of redeem myself, <laughs> which we call they were calling redemption night for me. Um, but yeah, when they're here, I'm happy to do when they come to Boston. But, um, you know, at this point, we're sort of still doing separate things. Well, like I said, it's cool just seeing everybody still making such great art. I mean, because with Belly mm. and the Breeders and Buffalo Tom, and I, I see that Dino Jr. is about to do something. You know, everybody from, I mean, Juliana yeah. is still out there, you know, knock them out of the park. I mean, <laughs> It's just insane because that doesn't always happen. And, and to have so many people from, you know, a certain area that's still so consistently putting out great music, it's been really great as a fan to experience that. Yeah. I mean, I think all of the people that you just mentioned are, you know, lifers. And I use this phrase a lot, probably inaccurately, but we, I think all of those bands have sort of a blue collar approach to work, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, like we consider it just to be our passion and love, yes, but also our work. There's, there's a, you know, it's, it's what we still do because that's our job. Well, <laughs> thank God for that. I, I mean, say. among others, among, yeah, everybody else has, has state yeah. stuff going on too, for the most part. But the new BT, I love the new Buffalo Town album. Oh, so seriously, much. it is so good. Oh it my is God, it's so that, good. Yeah, I. Uh... So beautiful. I wasn't even expecting that one. You know, that one just came through, and, and yeah. I, didn't, I couldn't stop listening to it for two or three weeks. Just that was it. That was yeah. It. I'm feeling the same right now about the uh, about the Belly record. You guys have done such a great record. Oh, it's good. so good to have uh, Thank have you. you all playing together again. This is fun. Thanks. It is fun. Yeah, the shows, and also just like the, the I think the just the joy of the live shows on two years ago that really is sort of what made us want to make an album instead because at that point we were like we were just planning on an ep like a four song ep but we just were so energized by those shows and the people there that that's kind of what that's the sole reason it developed into an album so congratulations again it was great talking to you good to talk to you too all right take care have a good day and my thanks to tanya donnelly of belly again that record is called dove it's out now Now, tying this whole trio together is the band Buffalo Tom. Earlier this year, they just released their latest record called Quiet in Peace. And there's that word again, peace. So we're going to get into that concept and talk to Bill Janovich about getting older and looking back. And he's going to tell us some rock star stories about hanging with Rick James, Gene Simmons of Kiss, and David Lynch. It's Kyle Meredith with Bill Janovich of Buffalo Tom. How you doing, Kyle? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. And the new record is one of the best. Uh, it's it's inf- uh, infectious, I guess is the word. I, I almost said infective, and that would have been the wrong thing. 
So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do want to start out on that title because I'm sure it means something else, but I thought it's it's almost ironic is not really the right term either, but quiet and peace sounds like the furthest thing in the world right now. I think it's more aspirational than uh, <laughs> uh, it, it actually comes from a line in one of the songs uh, in the ice where um, I don't know, it's, it's in the ice. It, the lyric of it is kind of this, uh, uh, you know, middle age, middle age perspective of somebody dealing with a little bit of depression that, you know, n- n- nothing too serious, but makes you feel like you're in the ice, makes you makes you feel debilitated maybe for a moment or two or a day or whatever. But just needing quiet and peace at, at, at the moment, I, I have kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek line in there where I, 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 right before it, it says, Carolina in my mind over eruption every time. So it's like James Taylor versus uh, is what I need versus Van Halen right now. <laughs> so I need some quiet and peace. I think we all aspire to that right now. And, and you know, you, you said the word middle age in there, and I, I do get a sense from a few of these songs that there is something about looking back, which tends to happen. And, and I'll, I'll even use it in the context of what we were just talking about, too, because it just seems like a good time to be looking back, if nothing else, for escapism you know, from what's, what's happening out there. But I didn't know if that had any uh, influence on it, just because of you know, our, our worldly issues. Yeah, I've been, I think the band in general, but certainly speaking for myself, I've been uh, someone who, for whom nostalgia plays a, a huge, a huge role. E- even if I wasn't an, like an artist expressing myself, I, I'm just drawn to uh, this sort of nostalgia and sentimentality. Uh, and it's, it's a tough sort of area to, to, to work in without being mawkish or, 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 or over sentimental uh or, or or just falling prey to, to nostalgia and and just you know like not being able to move on I, I mean i think the melancholy and the awareness of passing of time as it relates to melancholy has always been present in our music but i find that certainly as i get older and my kids are now i have one that just started college and one who's in middle school you know that and with whatever iPhones or whatever technology you have, like these these photos of them as as in various stages of their lives, are, it's it's always present. It's always in your face. So I just feel like that juxtaposition um, is is that much more dramatic uh, as as sort of manifested through raising kids. But I mean, and I know every artist, you know, as you get later in your career, that does become a thing. You know, um, writing about aging and getting older seems to always kind of be a part of it because. Because you couldn't have written about that before, you know, it's, well, you know, Neil Young wrote Old Man, but it was from a a very different perspective, you know, so. Well, that's an important example. And, and, you know, I I really grew up in a big way listening as much to Neil Young as anybody else, if not more than most. Um, I mean, I I was just, Chris and I just did this thing in New York and I was just singing some of our older songs and there's some, there's some lines that were, are not intended to be funny, but singing them now is, are, are, there's a bit of humor to them. Like I waited for an answer, but I waited for 25 years is this line that's from our song I'm Allowed. And it's like 25 years just sounded so, so long to me at that when I was 25 years old, you know, uh, but it's like, you know, 25 years now has gone by in a blip uh, since Let Me Come Over. I mean, Christ, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I think I've always been hyper aware of of that. And like I say, probably vulnerable to, 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 to melancholy and nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, you've got a line here now. 
that dead sparrow, there was a time when it flew. <laughs> and yeah. I thought, that's um, oh, that's a throat clearer right there, you know. That's uh... a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad you picked that one out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's lo- Lonely, Fast, and Deep. Yeah, right. Well, and there it says everything in the uh, <laughs> in the title. Well. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, I think somebody's listening to this interview and they haven't heard the song. It's like some of the more melancholy songs, and and, and that one with that with kind of that big heavy title is actually it's it, the emphasis on the music is on the fast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 certainly not deeply lonely to listen to it, but if you dig into the lyrics, uh, it's it, they're certainly there. And and musically, I mean. I don't want to keep hitting back on the past, but I feel like this one does have a lot of classic Buffalo Tom sound to it than the last couple uh, records have. Um, and I don't know if that's just a natural thing, but you know those those chug of the guitars and they're turned up. I mean, that's the first thing when we, you know when I first heard the uh, the lead single "All Begun." The melody was great, but those guitars, man, it, there's something just so warm about those. We kind of just feel our way into it. I mean, you know, like not so much the last couple of records, but like when we were when we were nearing the end of the '90s and we're before we took our sort of long break, our first long break from recording. When we were getting to that last record in the '90s called Smitten, we we really felt the need to push. In fact, each record from like Let Me Come Over back and forth all the way to the end of the 90s were reactions to the previous one so that, you know, we we what we loved what we did with Let Me Come Over and we wanted to kind of take that to more of a, a produced kind of end. And so we really liked what the Rob brothers had done with the Lemonheads on It's a Shame About Ray. So we went out there for Big Red Letter Day and that, was, that took like, you know, for us a huge amount of time, which was like eight weeks of recording in L.A. and, and really spending a lot of time with those guys learning how to really learn, learn how to record in a classic L.A. way, which was great. And, uh, and to me, to this day, that record sounds, if not our best, one of our best. Oh, yeah. But in reaction to that, we, we went with John and Yellow um, and wanted to record like Neil Young did, does, and you know, which is primarily live, where you even hear the, the vocals kind of going off mic or you hear the, the rattle of the snare when, with the amp in the room. And so we did that with John and Yellow on Sleepy Eyed. And then, well, that was too much that way, or, or at least we wanted to kind of switch it up again and kind of go back towards a little bit more production. You know, at that time I was listening to like, you know, OK Computer and stuff. So, uh, so, so that's about as, we were pretty conscious of that stuff back then, like really wanted to grow and move and keep, 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 keep changing things up a little bit. But this one, um, um, I can't really speak for the last couple so much, but this one we we were just feeling where the songs were going, and they were very much guitar songs. So the first song we we started working on was actually "Lonely, Fast, and Deep" about you know two years ago or so. And to us, that just was like, oh yeah, this is almost like a cliche Buffalo Tom song. It's like it's like if I was going to make up the, a Buffalo Tom copy band, this is what it would sound like, you know. But all the songs, a lot of the songs, I should say, kind of fell into these sort of different BT, you know, slots. Mm-hmm. And but then there's some that are quite, quite different. I think, yeah, quite a bit. But th- there are those, like you know, "I'll Be Gone." "I'll Be Gone" came almost one of the last songs in the writing sessions. So, uh, but it's, it, you know, and, and then I had mentioned John and Yellow. Uh, we actually brought them to him to mix after working with Dave Minahan on the recording, and uh, we hadn't worked with John since. Sleepy Eyed in '97, so it had been literally 20 years. Um, and I think he 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 just knew what we were, you know, he could see what we recorded, obviously, and said, "Well, this is where it's going to go." And so maybe that had a, had a bit to do with bringing back the actual classic sound of us. Well, you know, as I as I look, especially at the uh, 
last year being your 30th anniversary, and is it this year, the big, letter, uh, big Red Letter Day that you just mentioned, is 25th anniversary. I mean, every year now is an anniversary when you've been a band this long or something, but uh, you know, I, I sort of get curious if that plays a part of that, like when you're having to concentrate more so on an, an older album than you usually would if that older album and whatever was going on starts to seep into what you're naturally writing now. Oh, that's a great question. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I, I don't think, like, like we're, when we worked on Let Me Come Over, promoting Let Me Come Over, we were pretty much done. Well, we, we were almost completely done, if not, if not completely done with the new stuff. But that would be an interesting, that's an interesting, I mean, if we had been working on Let Me Come Over while, you know, the promotion thereof and, and, and working on the new one, then it, it almost certainly would have probably informed the writing and stuff. But no, I mean, most of the writing for this was done, you know, two, three years at least back. And we were pretty slow to rehearse and stuff um, to, to finally get into the studio nowadays with our different schedules. But no, I, I, I mean, it's interesting. I, it, a lot of people are reacting. We, we, we really are truly surprised sometimes with people's reactions. Not, and I'm not saying that I'm surprised that people kind of hear some familiar strains here, but it's more like, wow, this is really kind of a return to form for you guys. Whereas I didn't realize that we had switched up that much over the last couple of records. <laughs> you know, it's more like... Wow, I was surprised to hear that people thought we did some different things in the last ones, I yeah. guess. And, and not to overlook it, because as you mentioned, there are some great different moments on here throughout. But I, I think, you know, when, you, when you're when you a fan, you know, when you're a fan of any band, you sort of, when, that, when those pop up, I mean, if Radiohead, as you mentioned, had, you know, comes out with a guitar song on this next record, there's a lot of us who enjoyed the last few Radiohead records, but we're going to go, oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'd be the same way. But, but I mean, there's, there's a band that really did switch drastically oh, right. um at least at least from that onto the uh, to the to the to the succeeding records but i'm always glad to hear that people hear anything different in us because i feel like if anything we're, we're sort of that worn out old shoe that you know the comfortable shoe that yeah it's just i mean back like i said like when we were trying to make smitten it was like i really felt like we were going through a struggle to just try to do something that was slightly different like I think it's because we really are sort of this band by committee, this democracy that we have this overlapping sort of Venn diagram of influences, but a lot of other outside influences that we don't all necessarily agree on or necessarily listen to the same kind of music. But it just took us a while to sort of move that down the field a bit. Well, I, I'm happy it whatever happened happened because I, I love the record, so I like the way it's turned out. And of course, the nice surprises on there with the cover of "The Only Living Boy in New York" and 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 the seeker as well. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean uh, that's that's interesting with "Only Living Boy" because that that came from a time where we were woodshedding on, on Smitten, actually. So one of the different things we did around that era was to bring in ultimately Phil Aiken, who played keyboards with us, but. Prior to Phil, we had, we had tried, um, you know, the band Belly had, had just broken up for a little while there, uh, for a long time, it, it turns out. But um, Tom Gorman, who, who we were somewhat friends with, but I mean, I, I've known Tanya for a long time, but but Tom, we got to know a little bit from, from Belly. And so we went down to this, to Chappaquiddick off of Martha's Vineyard in the off season. So you can imagine, you know an island off of an island in the off season in New England. It was, it was pretty desolate and bleak, but it was this really cool time because we rented this house and had like a, a long weekend or a week or so where we brought all this equipment down and recorded all these fun covers, some of which have been on records, um, like on B-sides, like uh, the B-sides album, in fact, with um, 
uh, Cupid Come, uh, My Bloody Valentine cover. Uh, what was the other? Oh, Hawaiian Baby of the Spinanes. And, and one of the songs we recorded was The Only Living Boy in New York. And, and Tom Gorman, it was his idea to, to do it. And he sang it. And we did that kind of weird arrangement. And we found it. Uh, I found it on some old tape. And I sent it out to Tom and to Chris and Tom and Buffalo Tom and, and to Tanya, in fact. And I said, hey, check out what I found. And Chris was so into it. He's like, yeah, we should do this for the record. And I said, bingo. So that, that came out of that time where we were really trying to push ourselves a bit. You mentioned you mentioned Belly, and of course they're back together, and they're also going to have a new record. Is there a chance that you know some of us fans are going to get a nice little uh, dream run there of dates, where maybe you get both of you together? Oh, I doubt it. Um, I I wouldn't doubt that we would do a show together at some point, but I mean, it would schedules would have to line up, and it would be um, you know they're obviously uh, a more popular band than than we are um, in terms of bringing people in and stuff. But I, I, so I don't think it would be necessary. But it's not like it's not like we're sort of an opening band, really. But right. we would do it. But I don't think we would do a whole tour because I don't think it would make financial sense for either band. <laughs> but uh, but certainly it would be a love fest for sure. Well, even if it's a, a one-off show, I, I might make that trek. Uh, yeah. You know, just for that. Uh, two great bands. Uh, I'll wrap it up here with a special side feature, a little bit of a side feature, and, and not to put you on the spot here uh, either, but I, I know that most of the time being in a band is a lot of sitting and waiting and, and green rooms and, and, uh, and van rides and not fun. But every now and then you come out with a great rock star story. And I was just wondering if any great rock star story comes to mind that you're allowed to tell. Well, I mean, most of them do happen in green rooms, so or like you know, graffiti-filled to be more literal, like uh, uh, rooms that are festooned with uh, various genitalia uh, graffiti. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's where more that's where most of the the time and action happens back in back in these gross rooms, but. Um, I mean, you know, during the big Red Letter Day recording sessions, it was it was like being on a surreal uh, Hollywood talk show, you know, like a, 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 like for the entire time that we were there, pretty much before we got there to the end of the, the, our sessions, Rick James was there and it was during his trial for like kidnapping and crack possession and and so we have this photo. I have this one of my most precious photos is of Chris and uh, Rick James in the lounge of Cherokee Studios watching the final episode of Cheers on TV. <laughs> um, I mean, it was like every week there was something stupid like that. Rick would be hanging out in our in our studio drinking drinking our beer, or uh, there was another. Th- I mean, there was one particular day when we were mixing. I'm allowed where we were just, you know, this makes it like really like it is a talk show. We were on a couch just, you know, while those guys mixed the song and we were getting near the end. And in that same day that during that same session, we had Jeff Skunk Baxter come in Mm -hmm. and listen. We had David Lynch come in and listen. And we had Gene Simmons all, all listening to I'm Allowed at various points. I was like, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for Jeff Skunk Baxter coming. Uh, next up, Gene Simmons is here. And, uh, and I wasn't a big Kiss fan as a kid, but I, I, I grew to appreciate them later in life. And my brother had a huge, one of those huge, like, wall-sized posters collage of, uh, of Kiss. So, but here I am on the couch, and Gene Simmons gets up to, uh, to he's, he's telling some Gene Pitney story, some story about Gene Pitney. And he's 
he's up in front of me. I'm sitting on the couch. He's standing up in front of me, and he's sing. And Chris is sitting next to me, and probably Tom. And Gene Simmons is singing Gene Pitney a cappella. He's singing A Town Without Pity to us. And I'm just, I'm having this out-of-body experience going, this is the guy from Kiss with the big claw shoes and the long tongue and the blood. <laughs> and that was on my wall as a kid. And here he is singing uh, Gene Pitney. It was crazy. I always had this, uh, I, I used to say this to some of my friends, that if the devil was real and Satan was sitting around in his uh, in his lounge. I don't think he'd be listening to metal. I always thought he'd be listening to Town Without Pity. Like that was the song I imagined oh, wow. the devil listening to. Wow, interesting choice. A little bit more. So it sort of makes sense with uh, you know, I, I'm not building up uh, Gene Simmons right there. God knows his ego doesn't need that, but No, no, he yeah, it was I think I, I wish I remember the story he was telling. I, it was all sort of blown away by the actual <laughs> him singing to us you know like I'll, that's the memory that wiped that obliterated whatever story he was telling me but i think it was something about growing up maybe with gene pitney in the in new york or something but yeah no he he, he uh we talked music for a while as i recall yeah. and then david lynch came in now out of all those guys he was the guy i was completely starstruck by and like giddy to meet um i mean he in, in a way, David Lynch was probably one of our biggest non-musical influences on, on Buffalo Tom because, you know, we had this whole normal guy reputation or whatever image back then. And, you know, like in the UK in particular, they were really obsessed with, with how class, what, what class you okay. came from and, and how it affected your music. And, and wasn't rock and roll supposed to be rebellious and but they also they just wanted to kind of write this angle about almost bourgeois rockers, which were you know came to came to be more more literally with like ride and stuff or not ride um, not ride who am I thinking of guys from Go- Gorillas oh no, David Oliver uh, Blur yeah 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 Blur yeah yeah I and mean, he kind of wrote about all that kind of stuff in in a post Ray Davies way anyway so but that was always our thing it's like well I mean the normal uh, is a mask for some of the more devious and troubled uh, aspects of America. I mean, read, read Ray, Raymond Carver or, or Richard Ford or, uh, or, or more, more specifically watch something like David Lynch's movies at the time, which were just these bizarre, you know, uh, to have him sit there and listen to our songs and be the super friendly guy and was just a, a uh, you know, obviously it's a memory. It's what, 30, 25 years later, and I still remember it uh, pretty distinctly. And he's such a big music fan, too. I mean, uh, you know. Lynch yeah, in fact, that's what he was doing guy. in the studio. Yeah, yeah, he was working on um, some Julie Cruz record with Angelo Bombamenti. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Man, that's that's cool. That's that's a, that's a good day. Good day, right? Yeah, it was there. a good day. One day right there, yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, it was a it was a real pleasure talking to you. Like I said, uh, you know, all the congrats on the on the new record. We really do love it around here. And you know, if you ever end up, you know, in the area in Louisville, do give us a shout. Very much so. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for the time. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right, take care. Take care. Bye. And a big old thanks to Bill from Buffalo, Tom, talking about their latest record, Quiet and Peace. And thanks once again to Tanya Donnelly of Belly and Kristen Hirsch about her latest record, Possible Dust Clouds. Uh, Hey, if you haven't already, please do hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now, whether that's YouTube, on Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. After that, you can head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern, where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. You can find me at Twitter, at Kyle Meredith, Facebook, slash Kyle Meredith, That does it for me this time. 
I'm Kyle <laughs> Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.